This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah, the old city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Western Wall. I'm so happy to be back. Uh, my payas are made by God today, so I have no idea what I look like because I've been off-roading for the last uh, couple of hours. Of course, I couldn't have landed in Israel for more than 24 hours without going off-roading. You know, I, I just live in the in the wilderness. I'm always in the mountains. And um, I think maybe it has a lot to do with my how spiritual I am, because not that, you know, anyone should ever claim spirituality, but when you meet as many people as I do, you realize you're spiritual. <laughs> no offense. So the, um, anyway, but whatever, you know what I mean? Like, you don't have to be a dummy to realize that you're kind of a spirit-oriented person when you meet a lot of people who aren't, unfortunately. Anyway, so, yeah, so I just hit the trails, which was really quite awesome. But here's the crazy thing about it, is uh, I decided to transform one of my vibrations that, that's been a, a blind spot, obviously. If anyone here knew they had some negative vibration going on, they would change it immediately. Problem is, they're all in your blind spot, like where my hands are right now. All your negative vibes are here. You don't see them, and so you perpetuate them. And wherever your life doesn't work, because if you have negative vibrations, obviously your life's not going to work very well. So wherever your life doesn't work, as a human being, you'll just create a hushkuffer around it. That's what we do. Wherever we're dysfunctional, we just create a hushkuffer around it. And then eventually they bury you. And the and so so... But there is such a thing as being awake and alive enough to know that you're stinky. And if you know you're stinky, you know there's a vibrational something inside of you that you've got whitewashed with God knows what crooked hushkafa that you've built around it. And, and then you, whatever you live, you know, that's your life. And whoever knows you and loves you, I guess when you die, they just go like, whoo. You know, of course they mourn you, but it's also a great relief. You know, especially... People are really close to you. So the, um, so, you know, the grief is grief. Like there's grief, but there's also like, my goodness, you know, like how much longer can you put up with such a person? And the, and so, but we'll live like this forever. So I realized recently that one of my blind spots was for sure there. And, uh, and it's such an interesting story, but too private, I think, to share how I realized that I can't hide this anymore, that I've got an issue. And so... And so, uh, let's see how much I can share. Let's just say that there was a relationship in my life that's an important one that wasn't, wasn't working at all. And I basically figured out the personality disorders of that person. That was my Ashkafa, is this person's got issues. And so, and they, you know, they may, but, you know, so do I. And it takes two to tango. And so what happened was I... So I did the work and I, you have to unfortunately cry a lot <laughs> because think about it. If you have some blind spot vibrational thing, that's like making your, you uh, smell from, you know, at about a three meter radius. So if you have something stinky that makes you smell and you're perpetuating that smell around, chances are the reason you'd be doing so is because to reveal it would be way too painful emotionally. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like to go there, no one's going there. You know, you just don't want to go there. And and you'd probably even avoid people like me who would take you there. Because that's my work. Which is how I get to go there. I get to go there frequently because I'm constantly doing my work. And in fact, 
Um, my work, which is called the Possible Seminar, just got back from three seminars on the East Coast. And we've got our first English seminar in Jerusalem in like half a year. I don't even know how long, like the longest time. But uh, it's coming up this Sunday with an introduction Thursday, where I imagine I will bring pizza. Even though I personally wouldn't eat pizza, it seems to be a good way to get people to come to your experience. So there will be an experience this Thursday night uh, on Shmuel Naviv Dushinsky. Anyway, if you're watching this live, uh, send your English speakers. And uh, stay tuned for Hebrew seminars back in business. Anyway, so what happens is the way we can be so stinky for so long, I think we lost him. You with us? Sorry. The way we can stay stinky for so long is because to reveal that vibrational frequency would require touching a part of you that you just, you don't want to go. And... And I found mine. And that much I can reveal because of my own secrets, I have none. So you know, I'm, I'm from California where you just say everything. So I don't mind revealing my own stuff. So, so, the, um, so the, the frequency was that I was raised in a world where there was no, um, there was no boundaries at all. You know, like, and, and I've got a real Avram Avinu soul. So I, if there were some, I would have broken them, but at least I'd have known they were there. You know, I, I would have definitely busted through any boundaries that were there, but, I, but I, I wasn't even given any. Now, here's a really interesting thing. If you're from the soul of Avram Avinu and you're the brownie breaker and you're going to push the limits of everything, you know, just to keep everyone awake and alive, you know, because every institution rots from within. You know, the, the top of every institution, they don't want to lose power. But the problem is, how'd they get to the top? They got to the top because they obviously had what to say that was relevant enough to put them at the top. But the problem is the world is dynamic. It's not static. When you're on the top, you like dynamic or static once you're at the top. What do you prefer? We'll take the static, please. We like the view up here. And so, but what happens is dynamic comes from below and just generally attacks, you know. That's why even the longest standing companies, you know, some, some are real stay, stayers, but most 30 years later, st- companies that you just thought were like forever are gone, you know, unless they in- innovate, but so often they don't just have the courage to do that. And the top just doesn't have the dynamism to allow for innovation, but things should percolate from below. Asian Torah, I mean, at least until smartphones, was very relevant for a long time because of the, uh, because Rav Noach Weinberg, you know, as our leader, just, he just never claimed the top. So we didn't have one, which was quite amazing. And, and there's a lot of organization that you know that you probably have no idea started here, but he just had no top. And so you could start anything here. Like, and he would even fund you. You'd come with him with the craziest idea. You need some level of follow-up or the board would come after you, but but he wouldn't come after you. He'd be like, do it. You know, I'm cutting you a check. You know, and then the board would come cramming down on him and going like, what was that? So um, do you mind turning off? I think we have heat on, which is, I don't think that's so appropriate right now. Just press off the power. Thank you. It'll also be much quieter. I'm going to take a deep breath. Anyway. The H door never had a top, which was uh, quite amazing, you know. And then, uh, and then, uh, he pa- interestingly, he passed away right around, uh, right around after smartphones, and and so as as the as the movement hit its next stage, which was, you know, you're going to find truth 
on your smartphone, not with a backpack. You know, smartphones are a little smaller than backpacks. You know, you're interested in truth. Why don't you just pull your phone out? You know, leave the backpack at home. You know, and the uh, anyway, but when all that shift, it was about when he passed away. So he never had to witness, you know, the world we live in today. I wonder what he would have said, though. How he would have wanted to innovate with it. It's a good question. Um, anyway, the um, top percolating up the the boundaries. Um, I was never given boundaries, and I'm built. I'm the percolator, like I'm the soul that percolates up and busts through things. But here's a very interesting thing, and this is what I want to say before: is what do you do if you're an Avamavino? To bu- and your identity is break boundaries, or at least br- push up against them, so they push you back, which is how life's supposed to be. You're supposed to push up to get pushed back a little. Then you know your geography, so you don't spend the rest of your life scared out of your pants for nothing. You know, like most people's parents, unfortunately, there's a lot of bad parenting, especially in the observant community. And I'm not saying every observant Jew does bad parenting, but uh, there's one level of parenting that the observant community's done a lousy job of, and that is... Uh, making the kids scared of things about a hundred miles away from where the fear should have started. <laughs> you know, we're not so good at that. You know, we, we, we aren't very good at showing our kids the actual geography. And, uh, and uh, that's a great way to cause mediocrity in your children, you know, and, and a real browbeaten adulthood and not to mention financial uh, uh, scarcity because, you know, our, our modern world has no tolerance for, for that kind of stuff. You know, like the, the whole, the, every single enterprise in the financial world is, is governed by the people who push and push fearlessly to the edge. And so we're, we're basically just handicapping our, kill, our children, tying their hands behind them back, their backs, you know, needlessly, you know, absolutely needlessly, instead of showing them the edge of things. And it's not that you don't make a fence, but the fence is for the terror. Okay, fences are for the terror, they're not for, you know, everything else. And, uh, and so you make a fence for the Torah, for sure. You want to protect that thing. But, uh, but unfortunately, people have gone overboard with their protection. That's why I think it was Jung who said that every, every good parent fails. Every good. Meaning, you're so good at parenting, you forgot to stop. And so you crippled your kid by not giving them their wings. You know, parents' jobs give roots and wings. Roots when they're little and then wings as they can use them, you know. But the uh, but many parents have uh, done a lousy job of that. You can shut off your ringer if you don't mind. Thank you. It's okay. It's okay. So uh, anyway, but the, the, that's the job of parents is to give, is to stop parenting, you know. No unsolicited advice. You know, I once my kids are bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, I'm done. You know, like they know. It's like they could finish your sentence for you. You know, like leave the poor kid alone. They didn't ask. Kid asks advice, they'll get advice. Don't ask advice, no advice. Yeah, and and not only no advice, but no like under the radar advice too, because they're not dummies. They know what you're doing. So no under the radar advice either. Just live your life. And it's great because now you're free. You know, when they're little, they love to hear a million things about the world. And when they get a little older, around bar mitzvah age, 
they know everything. They can finish your sentences. They don't. There's nothing you're going to tell them they don't know already. You just leave them alone. You know, just be a great example. And the best example of being happy. Happy and especially happy with your Judaism and let them see it, see you make your blessings with love and patience and care. That's all they need. You know, and which is wonderful because now you're kind of forced into being this ultimate spiritual guide, you know, guide through example, obviously. But now your spirituality turns on because you're taking your time to be that person. And, and nothing more. No advice. No. Nothing besides that. Now, um, Anyway, but what do you do if you're an Avram Avinu, but you're raised without boundaries? You're raised without borders. So you want to know the answer? Want to know the answer? It's a crazy answer. But there's a lot of answers, but the answer that you probably weren't expecting is you spend your life scared. Let me explain it to you maybe in an analogy like this. You know, we say every morning, Baruch Shemar Vahoy Ho'ilam, right? Blessed is he who spoke and created the world. And then we say, Baruch Blessed is he who says and does, which of course none of us do. But we're all creating worlds with words because we're created in the image of how God created the world. So we create our world with words. But we also say and hopefully do, or we have no integrity. And most people are not saying do. Most people are just saying don't do and or say they won't say they won't and do. You know, people generally are not saying do. And the other one is Goizumakaya. Decree and fulfill the decree. God does that. We don't do that because in fact, we, this is a full sneeze uh, uh, safe zone. So in the future, just let it rip. Yeah, we got enough things ruling over us here and uh, things we're not allowed to do. So the pleasure of a nice big sneeze is. It's a safe zone for a hardcore season. Yeah, we have yeah. Yeah. And she's got the tissue. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, some of life's pleasures come with a lot of rules in, in Judaism. So, like, we should definitely at least be able to sneeze fully. So, <laughs> so the, um, anyway, what was I talking about? I appreciate I appreciate the overall theme. I wasn't on that right then. I was in an analogy. I was explaining a no, I was gonna explain a story. Well you all remember that I thought I had started it already. I can't remember if I started it or not. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I drew a blank. You know what's funny about that? There's not one person in this room who has any idea what I was talking about. No one. That's funny. <laughs> what? I don't think that's funny. Well, it's pretty funny if you're the guy who forgot what you were talking about. Well, then you could just say anything. We'll be noisy. <laughs> <laughs> I decided to stop and laugh about it. You know, like, maybe I should choose a new career. Maybe this is depressing. No, you know, here I am talking along. Forgot what I was talking about, and no one even knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? We're stopping and laughing. Um, it's getting hot in here. It's cool. Take it easy. I turned it off already. No, it's heat. It's heat. Our, we have a little problem with the building in that... Um, uh, they have to eat that room. That room just gets cold. But this room, unfortunately, 
does not know how to be on its own. Uh, Control the window a little bit. That'd be wonderful. Well, this one might work. Nice lady. Do you mind just airing out the room a little bit over there? And uh, and then uh, we'll close in a sec because it's got an- there's ambient noise that's more than I can handle. I don't like the ambient noise, but let's get that thing nice and opened up. Keep it going. Just let's get some fresh air in this room. Have a great day. Oh, wow. Uh, safe travels. Don't forget to sleep on the second half. Don't force yourself up as long as you can. They're going to make you go to sleep, but do your best. When you fly to the U.S., you want to stay awake for, it's 12 hours, so you want to stay awake the first four and then try to sleep the next seven or eight. Otherwise, you arrive. <laughs> well, you may not be a mess. You've slept a lot. But by the time it's around 3 or 4 p.m., you've been up since midnight. Now it's 3 or 4 p.m., you're done. And now your whole schedule will be messed up for days. But if you just put toothpicks in your eyes and force yourself awake for the first four hours of your flight, and they don't want it. The stewardesses just want, like, they shut the place down. Like, get out of our hair. Yeah. Yeah, until the meal, when the meal's done, all the lights shut off and you're done. Yeah. But I stay up. I have to. I have no choice because when I get the ground, when I hit the ground, I got to often teach 10 hours straight from from noon till, not 11 hours, from noon to 11, I'm on my feet in front of a crowd. Noon straight. to 11 at night? Yep. So I must force myself away for those hours. So let's go back to the fear. I'll, I'll, go, I'll reel it back. Maybe it'll come again. So when you are, when you have no boundaries, you're scared of you well, everything because, because you know, you're not a dummy. You know, there's stuff to be afraid of. You just can't find it. This is how I became a big wave rider. You know, most surfers you'll meet nine out of 10, more than nine out of 10, 19 out of 20. I'm not, when you meet a guy who surfs, He's not a big wave rider. They're just far and few between. You know, there aren't even... I met my first female big wave rider ever after 40 years of surfing when the Billigbong crew was here. I actually met a female big wave rider. And I still, you know, I, I, I mean, she told me had a searcher on YouTube to watch, but I still haven't seen it. I just met it. What does that mean? Big wave riding? Yeah. Big wave riding is like starts... More than double the height of this ceiling. More than double the height. And that's when it's like, that's when we that's when we feel like we're serving, when it's double the height. When it's more than double the height, then we start, I don't know what we start doing. We start really having fun. And then it gets bigger, and then it gets bigger, and you just keep going, because you're pushing the boundaries. And I probably should have drowned a thousand times, but God was keeping me alive for something else. And I never found the boundary. I never hit it. And when I moved here, all the big wave riders moved to jet skis, pullings, getting towed into the waves, which I'm kind of glad I missed. Just having watched some of those wipeouts, even last night on YouTube, you know, because last week it was uh, the waves had hit about 80 feet plus, 90 feet in uh, Nazari, Portugal. You can Google uh, Portugal big wave riding and see the biggest waves in the world. And it's 
pretty frightening, and knowing me, I would have kept, I would have stuck with it and been that guy. So I'm glad I didn't. And and by the way, the only border I ever met was the Shulchan Aruch. To this day, I finally met my match. I mean, my match was God, but but it was such a pleasure to meet God in my life because there's just there there's the edge. I found the edge, you know, up till there and up till there and up till there and up to there, up to there in diet, up to there in relationships, up to there in in uh, you know in your activities when it comes to Shabbos and. I, I took so well to those limits. And you would think it would have been the opposite. You know, a guy who has no limits should be kind of turned off by Judaism. But I was like, whoa, thank God. Like the, Now I feel safe. Feel safe, safer anyway. But what I didn't realize is I had a vibrational energy inside of me called unsafe, that I felt unsafe. And I expressed it in two ways. One I already shared with you, risk-taking. Took a lot of risk. But the other way was a very interesting thing that is, you know, it's a little embarrassing to even share publicly. I'm embarrassed to say this, but <laughs> I'm super engaged. I mean, you can tell how engaging I am just right now. But one-on-one, I'm even more engaged. If it has an end. It has to have an end. Like, people hire me for an hour, and they get so engaged. I, they get a, such an engaged person when we spend that hour together. But I never knew until this day that it must end. I mean, I have to know when it's over. I have to know when it's over. I can't. The open-endedness of that level of engagement is was not, a, it just wasn't a note I could play on my guitar. It was just a missing chord that I couldn't play that. And I never knew that. Just never knew it. And very sadly, there's certain people who have an open-ended engagement requirement. What are those people called? Begins with an F. A. M. Family. Family's open-ended. You know, it's there's no end. There's no end. You know, the hour doesn't end. Hey, welcome. Uh, can you move seats so they can sit together, please? You came off the wall? Have a good davening. Hi, welcome. It's funny, they're going to pray, and you guys just came from the, you came from the wall? Thank you very much. You're welcome. Where are you from? You look so exotic compared to me. Nice. Nice. So you probably like the topic we're on. Are you speak English? I do. With a can you give that say that? As Oh, we have a table for two right here. Please come sit. Come. Table for two. This is like the revolving door here. Every minute, no, no. Someone, this couple came right before you. Uh, how you doing? Good. So happy to have you. Thank you. So, so I'm just starting in Hebrew for one minute. Yod 
אז את יכולה לתקשר כמה שאת רוצה, מאוד, כי את יודעת, יש סוף לזה. אבל יחס עם משפחה או בן זוג או, או ילדים, אין סוף לזה. יש איזה פחד בזה, שפתאום אני, לא יודע, שפת גוף שלי פתאום אומר לשני שזה נגמר, אז מה? כאילו, אני בחוץ כבר. So what happens is, and I think this happens for a lot of people, I'm not the only one this happens with, I'll catch you up. is that when you're enge- deeply engaged with a person, because that's the right thing to do when you're standing with somebody, you like to know that it ends. An hour, half hour, whoever it is. And I get, hired, I get hired a lot for an hour to meet with people. But it's an hour. It's over after an hour. But when it comes to family, it never ends. It never ends. And I noticed that I would disengage. I just disengage at a certain point. And this may be something that other people haven't come to, where they, they disengage at a certain point, even with their spouses. And, and spouses are a little more independent compared to kids. Kids are like, you know, spouses, kids, it's like, it doesn't end. You know, it just, they, their need... It's like a vacuum cleaner that's been, the on switch was glued on, you know. It just never ends when it comes to kids. They need you, and they need you, and they need you. Now, I think women don't have this big an issue like men do. I think men, it's a little harder for us to be that engaged with someone that, where it never ends. And so... I, when I realized that I felt unsafe in my life with my upbringing being, I'm an Avram Avinu soul. I like to break through boundaries. I like to break boundaries. But because I was raised in a world that didn't have any, so I just got scared. Where's the edge? And the way I expressed that was two ways. One was being a wild risk taker, daredevil. And the other way was by disengaging when, it got, when I couldn't see the end in sight in, interact, in interactions with people. I would disengage. And so I had to cry that out big time last week. I had a big cry. And cry out that, that negative frequency inside of me of, of unsafe. I had to cry out my unsafe because... Because you got to cry it out. Because the only way, if you have some stinky vibration in you, like if you have a vibrational frequency that's just, you know, it just doesn't belong there, but there it is. So you got to create so much scuff around it to protect yourself from, you know, meaning, meaning that's dysfunctional. And if you have that dysfunctional tether, that dysfunctional frequency inside of you, the E-functia, you know, so you got to... You, you'll create a whole hashkafa, you'll create a whole worldview that like, explains it all, you know, until you die and everyone's just like, thank God, you know, like that person's gone because what a hassle it is to be close to you. And, and so, it, but, but if you want to get in touch with that frequency, 
you're going to have to cry because how could you perpetuate a frequency that doesn't work with a whole hushkafa around it, with a whole you know worldview you created around the dysfunction? The answer is, is because it would hurt too much to look there. I don't want to look there. We never look where we don't want to see something. But last week I forced myself to look there. And I found that spot. I found that unsafe spot. And which is very interesting, I know that unsafe spot, but I never knew it was showing up in my closest relationships. I never knew it was showing up with family. I had beat it in all my risk-taking. No more risk-taking. I'm the protector of my family. I created the vibration of protector. And I protect not only my family, I protect everyone. I'm a protector of people as a victory over unsafe. Because I'm a safe protector. And, uh, but I didn't realize that it was still showing up with family. So what did I do? I created a new one. I'm safe. I'm a safe protector and I'm engaged or I'm safe and engaged because protector is already in. I don't think I need to keep declaring that. It's in. Like, it's good. I don't have to think about it. I, I lock my door at night. I didn't used to. Now I do because I want to protect my family. So I locked the door at night. By the way, Jerusalem's very safe. So when my wife would come and see the door was left open, she would say to me, you left the door open. And I would say to her, see how safe it is. But that's what we do. We create. That's a perfect example of self-deceiving hushkaf, self-deceiving worldviews we paint over dysfunction. You get that? That's what we all do. And so, and so, what happened was was I discovered there's this whole other frequency of disengaged when I don't know when it ends, and there's no more clear example of when it doesn't end when, when you're with family. Now, family's not going to call you out. Family won't call you out on that. You know why? Because once you're in a, once you have that negative, let's say you have a negative vibrational energy, you have a negative frequency, you're going to create a, 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 a um, uh, what's the right word for it? A, how do you say one that makes up for it? How do you call one that makes up for it? Compensatory, a compensating vibration. So my compensating vibration had, you ready for this? Had my family ending the conversation quick. Like they all had to know that this, com- they knew you got 10 minutes, get it done. Can you imagine that? Like they knew I'd be there a hundred percent, but you got 10 minutes to say, say the piece. And I didn't even know I was, I had no idea that was because of me. You just created, you create a compensatory frequency and people will, jive to it and cooperate. You know what that means? That means you have people cooperating with you right now in like ways that perpetuate you and you perpetuate it. You understand you have, you have compensatory frequencies you've created to basically protect the frequencies that you should be transforming inside you. And everyone will relate to you based on that. For example, if you meet someone whose compensatory frequency is shy you will automatically kind of give them space. You automatically give them space. And if someone's compensatory frequency is lazy and you got you needed someone to do something and there's five of them there, you will not pick on lazy. 
you'll know not to pick that person. And they are already putting it out. I'm not available to be picked for that. You know, now the inner frequency might be that they're a big failure and they chose lazy as the compensatory frequency. Anyway, long story short is I did my work last week. Come back to Israel. And here's the crazy thing is that, is that I have a family member. I have a family member who's the only one who never bought my scrap. I have one family member who never bought my scrap. Everyone else bought it. Obviously, I'm saying scrap without the S here. But I have a family member who was the only one who didn't buy it. Now. I didn't buy it. What? Didn't buy what, your entire. My entire disengagement. My disengagement program. That, you know, where I have everyone behaving accordingly. Everyone's be, everyone perfectly behaves with your compensatory frequencies. I had a family member that refused to buy it. He was not going to behave with that frequency. And spent the next... I'm trying to think when he realized it. I don't know when he realized it, but he just decided to become... He just turned his whole being into a thorn and stuck it here. For years and years and years. Now, what do you think my move was? What would be my move if someone's sticking thorns? I'm the issue or there? Who's the, who's the issue? Based on this whole class, who, who would I create the issue as, me or them? Them, for sure. Everyone else is acting normal. Why can't they? Except what's normal in your life is, is not normal. It's just what you've trained the world to behave like. To not step on or expose you. So the one person who refused to play along, who was a thorn in my side, has, has, when I flew back to Israel, I just arrived. No one's been sweeter to me. I haven't discussed any of this with him. No one's been more with me. I don't think any, there's not a single person in my family that spent more time with me than him at this point. No big talk was had. I don't mind. I Obviously, you see, I'd be willing to open up and own it. I just opened it up with you guys and owned it. You know, so I'd certainly own it with him. I don't think I even need to. He's so insightful. But my frequency shifted and, and he, he took his thorn away. Like that, boom. Like, if there was any question what I'm saying is true or not true about me or about the subject matter in you, inside you, is it all flipped around like, like that? And this is why it's so important for all of you to realize, and me, which I think I realize, is that uh, it's not appropriate for any of us to complain about our key relationships. Because anything you were, anywhere you would complain in your key relationships in your life is, uh, it's really you. It's really you. You're the one. And wherever you would have those complaints, it's just, that's just giving, wherever your complaint is, is the access into the issue, which is you. 
and deep down. And so it's, it's really a tremendous victory. Now, I'm going to open up a topic that I'll probably develop more tomorrow. Is it four yet? <laughs> yeah, quick question. Like your basic, like, about, like, base, like, you make your own truth and you build a house top right around that. How do you learn to do that? And how do you know what's your house top right? I said you, that you go in deep, deep, deep tears. First of all, you got to go into the embarrassment. It's horribly embarrassing to admit your frequencies, meaning garbage frequencies. You got to cry it out. You also got to, to find the right one, you have to always search with a lens that says what would be the most embarrassing. If you don't look for the most embarrassing one, the one you would least want to reveal, you probably will miss it. So you got to go for the most humiliating one. That's probably where it's most likely going to be where it's most humiliating. And you just never admit it. Because how else could you be going all these years? You know, obviously there's something painfully embarrassing there. Otherwise, you wouldn't have gone that long, creating such frequencies, meaning the compensatory one for everyone to behave to. So you got to go to the one that just, you, the last thing you'd ever want to say. Like me saying I'm unsafe. That's embarrassing. What's that? How do you know what it is? It's too detailed a question for this time of the class. And the, uh, but what I'd like to share is just another thing that's so off the wall, and I'm only going to bring it up as a topic and hopefully handle it tomorrow or one of the days this week. Really a crazy thing that's going to be, it's going to sound as a, to posit such a thing is going to sound ludicrous. I think it'll be interesting for you, Rabbi, to hear this. Um, your access to spirituality, your access to spirituality requires it requires that you clean out your emotional toxins. I mean, you can have what they call spirituality. I mean, you can have a surface observance, let's say. You can have a full Jewish observance, and you could even, uh, you could even go far in both Torah knowledge and in understanding of prayer and and, uh, and the path of prayer and the path of connection. But to have a visceral, to have a visceral God experience, which is the point of it all, I mean, a little short of prophecy, obviously, but to have a visceral God experience, it only will rest on someone who's clean emotionally, meaning that you've worked through your garbage. You don't have toxic stuff inside of your personality built as a building, as a factory, you know, factory loaded building. When I say factory loaded, I mean the factory of your upbringing. I mean, because no one was loaded with that. When you were a toddler, you didn't have any of that. But that, that, um, that if you want true spiritual fission, fusion, the kind of spirituality that, that's, that you can't deny Something that would take you the rest of your life to describe and you wouldn't finish nor get accurate anywhere near accurate to it. Like true spiritual USB cable plug-in only lands on the person who's clean from these toxic vibrations inside. 
which would explain why so much of Judaism has been relegated to the surface. Because it's just not part of our culture to go there. You know, you, no one's going there. And because no one's going there, so you're relegated to, you know, daily Jewish life of the 2019 community. You know, but, but if you want to touch, I know a lot of people want to touch into the something a little... Not a little. Something, people want to touch into something real, undeniably real. So then look no further than your the toxins built into your personality that you've been compensating for and break through those. And there's ways to do that. There's several portals. I happen to have one of them. One of them is the possibility of seminar. It's a portal to that. And that's how I was able to get to this one. But it was a blind spot for me. I only broke through it last week after 19 years of running this program and, and I'm just hitting 9,000 graduates. But I got my own blind spots. We're all onions. We're going through the layers and I hit a new layer for me, for myself. Thank God it's been really exciting to fly back here and re-engage with my family, but in a way that needs no time. It needs no timer. You know, I think my all my family is much more relaxed with me right now, feeling expressed. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. I'm engaged. Shalom, everyone. Have a beautiful day. Please, uh, you finished? Please click, uh, follow, subscribe, all those bells and whistles, and uh, share. I don't know what platform you're on, but hit all those right buttons and help us get it out. Most importantly, join the, the yomtobmediaclub.com. Go to yomtobmediaclub.com and be a member of the club. Let's help together to get it out there. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.